Dulcinea. Dulcinea. A name like that, an angel whispers. One of my favorite stories is the story of the man of La Mancha. You may know it as the story of Don Quixote. He was this old guy who believed himself to be a great knight of the round table. The problem was that by the time he lived, the knights of the round table hadn't existed for some 300 years. And so even though he was told time after time after time that he was just a whack job, that he really wasn't like this great knight, what he really was was this kind of shriveled up old dying, weak man, it never stopped him. It never stopped him from being the person he thought he could be. And I love that scene when he sings to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to reach the unreachable star. Don Quixote, who was somebody that in the final days of his life, he dared to see himself not for who everybody else thought him to be, but for who he knew in his heart he could be. Maybe sometimes you think, you know, God could never love the real me. I don't even love the real me. There's no way as I look around the church that people could ever accept me for who I am if they knew who I really am. But I wonder if we could ever get freed up enough to live the life we were created to live. To become the people we were created to become. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, to him who overcomes. In other words, to all of you who make it to the finish line of this life with your faith left intact, I will give you a white stone. And on the white stone will be inscribed your name. But it won't be your given name on this earth. It'll be a name that I, God, will give you. It'll be a new name that will signify a fresh start, a new life that will roll on for all of eternity. It'll be a name that'll be just between you and God. It'll be a name like that an angel whispers. away everything I own and spend time with my friends and family. Spending it with my family and friends, um, they're the most important people in the world to me. I would quit my job and spend every waking minute with my family. Spend it with my family, my friends, everybody I love and care about. I'd be with all my loved yeah. ones. I'd probably be all with all my loved ones. I would get married on a bungee jump. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> 
You know, it's kind of funny. It is a little bit ironic, isn't it, that we kind of spend, like, most of our lives trying to get away from our family. But if we just have 30 days to live, then we want to spend every waking minute with our family. I don't know. I'm just joking. Um, All right. So we're uh, getting toward the end of this uh, series called uh, One Month to Live. And we're just asking this question. If you knew you just had 30 days left, how would it change the way that you live? What would be different? What would be the same? What changes would you implement in your life? Inevitably, as a uh, pastor, I am asked uh, from time to time to be at the bedside of people when they have less than 30 days left to live. And I have been in that situation uh, many times, and I consider it to be a, a sacred moment for me. And in many of these instances, especially if they're calling me in, it typically means that it's somebody who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they know that their life is hanging in the balance, and they're scared. And they feel like it's just too late. Most of the time when I am in that situation, I spend most of my time just listening and holding their hand and loving on them. But there comes a point where inevitably I will tell them this story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the work, and he sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others still standing around. And he said, hey, you've been standing here all day doing nothing. Why? And they said, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like this guy who owns a vineyard, and he went out at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he hired a bunch of people to go out and to work in his vineyard and pick grapes or whatever it is you do in a vineyard. And they were to work for the owner, and they agreed that they would work for a day's wages, which for our purposes, we're just going to call it 100 bucks. So he hired these people and said, you work all day for me, I'm going to give you 100 bucks. So a few hours later, the landowner went out again, and he hired some more guys to work in his vineyard, and he said, hey, you work for the rest of the day, and I'll pay you what's fair. And so they started working for him as well. Then he went out again at noon, and then at 3 o'clock, and did the exact same thing. Well, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he went out, and he saw other people still standing there, and they weren't working. He goes, hey, how come you haven't been working? They said, well, nobody's hired us. He goes, I know there's only an hour or two left of daylight. Why don't you just work the rest of the day for me, and I'll pay you what's fair? And they said, great. And along they went. And worked for this landowner. Well, when evening came, 
The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, what I want you to do is call all the workers in and I want you to pay them their wages, but what I want you to do is I want you to pay the last ones that were hired first and going on down the line until the ones that were first hired. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each one of them received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they rightly expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They said, hey, these men who were hired last worked only for an hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and in the heat of the day. So when the day was finally over, the landowner begins to pay the men he had hired their wages. And the workers that he had hired just before dark, those who had worked for maybe just an hour or two, they each got a hundred bucks. And so when it finally came time to those, and and the people that were hired like at five in the morning, they were watching all this and they were getting pretty excited because they were thinking, wow, if they're getting a hundred bucks for only working an hour or two, then how much more am I going to get? Right? But when those that were hired at five in the morning came up to get their wages, you know where they were paid? A hundred bucks. And when they saw that they'd received the same amount of money, they began to complain to the landowner. You know what they said? That's not fair. These men who were hired last only worked an hour or two, and you paid them exactly what you paid us, and we worked our rears off all day. And we not only worked all day, we worked in the hottest hardest part of the day. The landowner said, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my money? Or are you envious because I'm being generous? So the landowner says, hey, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't I agree to pay you 100 bucks for your work? Take your pay and be happy that you got 100 bucks. And if I want to pay the man who only worked an hour the same amount I paid you, that's my decision. That's none of your business. Now, if I was the guy that was hired at five in the morning and I had worked all day in the long, hard, hot sun, I'd be ticked. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that's unfair? Yeah, I would protest. I would jump up and down and I would say, that's not fair. And that is a picture of God's grace. I want to make the point of this story Painfully clear. The vineyard represents the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. The landowner represents God, the father. The foreman doling out the money, the pay, is Jesus. The workers in the story are all of us who are believers, who have given our lives into the service of Jesus. And the denarius, or the hundred bucks, as we put it, represents eternal life which all of them received equally for their work. The work work day represents our lifetime 
of service to God, and the end of the day, when everybody gets paid, represents the day that eternity begins. But the principle that Jesus is driving home here is this. Every person who comes to faith in Jesus receives the same gift of eternal life as everybody else. There is nothing that you can do to earn it. There is nothing that you can do that makes you deserve it. It is a free gift, and it's only that. It is a gift that is given by Jesus himself. In spite of what you've heard, you will not get any bigger jewels in your crown if you're changing diapers in the nursery. You will not get a bigger mansion than everybody else if you grew up in Sunday school class. Everybody receives the same gift of eternal life, and there are no exceptions. Whether somebody comes to God as a kid and lives this kind of long life of faithful service and obedience to God from the point that they're in Sunday school on up, or whether somebody has lived a life lying and cheating and being addicted and doing whatever it is they want to do, and they come to Jesus on their deathbed, they receive the same gift of eternal life, each one. Hard to accept? Does it seem fair? Think about the thief on the cross who gave his life to Jesus with his last breath. And he received the same salvation as did Peter and John and Paul who worked their rear ends off and gave their entire lives and went through hell and back to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Is that fair? While there were natural consequences for the sin of this thief, that as a criminal he justly died on the cross, which was the law of that day, Jesus, who did nothing wrong, died unjustly on the cross right next to him. It wasn't fair. But then again, God's grace never is. If God's grace were fair, the woman caught in adultery would have been stoned to death. If God's grace was fair, Paul would have stayed Saul and been a Christian killer. Peter would have gone back to fishing. If God's grace were fair, it would be you and me up on that cross instead of Jesus. Thank God his grace ain't fair. Somehow, we get caught up into this whole comparative morality thing where we say, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. At least my junk ain't as ugly as her junk. Or how could we, how could that person even call themselves a Christian with the way that they act? 
The bottom line is that other people's faith, that ain't none of our business. It's not our place to judge anyone. No matter what baggage they bring, no matter what past they have, no matter what sins they've committed in their lives, no matter what anybody else thinks of them, no matter what rumors surround them, do you really believe that God loves them any less than you? Jesus said, before you go looking for that speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, get the dang plank out of your own, because it's embarrassing. In other words, you have enough junk in your life to worry about without worrying about everybody else's. Keep your focus where it belongs, on your own junk. Just to cut the tension right now, let's go back to the man of La Mancha. (laughs) Don Quixote. He believes himself to be like this great knight of the round table. And I love this because he is kind of this weak old man who is dying. And so he knows that every knight needs a horse, right? So he goes out and all he can find is his old mule. But he believes it to be a great stallion. And then he knows he needs a sword and a shield, and so he cuts this kind of flimsy piece of tin out to create a shield for himself, and he carves himself a sword out of a piece of wood. And it sounds a little bit like some kid, like, dressing up and playing, like, to be a great knight, but this was a full-grown man who simply had a dream. He had a dream that he could have a different view of himself than the world and everybody around him did, and that he could live the life that he believed he could live. Well, being fully equipped now with his mule and his sword and his shield, he wants to go into battle. And so he wants to fight the fiercest enemies, which happens to be this kind of local windmill. And everybody knows that a knight has to have a cause, right? A reason to fight. And the knights in that day and that age had always a damsel in distress, if you will. And it was the custom that some knight would find a fair maiden. Some woman of innocence and beauty. And he would commit his sword to her. And he would take his scarf and put it into his breastplate and and ride out into battle and commit his victories in the name of whoever is this lucky woman that he has committed his life to. And so Don Quixote sets out to find the woman that he is going to commit all of his battles to. But instead, he finds an old barmaid who just happens to be the town harlot. As uh, many of you know, uh, several years ago, I walked away from my relationship with God. And I lived a lifestyle that was completely against what God wanted for me. Here is the difference between me and a lot of people, is I grew up as a pastor's kid, I grew up in Sunday school class, I read the Bible, I knew right from wrong, and I made a conscious decision to reject that lifestyle and live the life I wanted to live. I blatantly lived against what God wanted for me. And when I became convicted that I was living the wrong lifestyle, 
it was very difficult for me to come back to God knowing what I knew. Knowing that I knew and I didn't care. And I did what I wanted to do. And I thought, how could God possibly want me back after all the things that I'd done? And it wasn't until I really figured out this concept called grace that I was really ever able to come back into an authentic relationship with Jesus, where I ever even thought it was possible. It wasn't until I realized that God's grace, it ain't fair. That in spite of what I've done, in spite of my sin, in spite of the way that I was living, God loves me anyway. That he accepts me as I am and not as I should be and that he loves me. And when I finally understood the depth of his love and the depth of his forgiveness, that he actually removed from me my sin, that as far as the east is from the west, he removed my sin from me so that I could stand before him clean. It was an overwhelming concept for me that changed my life forever. So Don Quixote, he's out searching for his fair maiden that he can dedicate his life to serving. And he ends up in this bar. And he looks across the room and he sees one of the most beautiful women he's ever seen in his life. I mean, the way he sees her, he sees her in this long, white, flowing, beautiful white dress. Beautiful hair, milky white skin, beautiful sandals on her feet. And almost as if he's in a trance, he walks across the room, and he doesn't take his eyes off of her. And he walks up to her in this crowded bar, and he he just says, You are Dulcinea. A name like that, an angel whispers. And she says to him back in a voice like she's from Jersey, (laughs) I don't know who you're talking about, mister, but my name is Aldonza, and I'm nothing but a barmaid. Aldonza was the town harlot. And what she was really wearing was this tattered, nasty, dirty dress on her back, and she had dirt on her face and dirt under her nails, and she wasn't wearing any shoes on her dirty feet, and her hair was dirty and tangled, and quite frankly, she was the disgrace of the town. And once again, the disillusioned Don Quixote saw her as something different. He saw her for who she could be. He saw right through the tattered clothes on her back, right through the dirt on her face, right through the dirty, tangled hair, and he looks her right in the eyes, and he says, you are Dulcinea. A name like that, an angel whispers. You are beautiful to me. 
Christianity is the only place where we can be who we really are. To come as we are and to stand before God and really everybody else exposed and full of sin, all of our problems, all of our failures, all of our mistakes just hanging out there and not hidden from anybody. And there's no more finger pointing saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. Or at least my junk ain't as ugly as hers. It's just you and your stuff standing there before God, just as you are. I love that song that we sang just before the message when it goes, it's just you and me here now. There's no more games. No more hiding. You know what it is. And we stand there before our creator, shaking because we know the lies that we have lived. But all of a sudden, there is like this peace that comes over us because all of a sudden we understand that we have a God who is not out to get us. We have a God who sees right through the tattered clothes on our back and the dirt on our face. And he looks right into my heart. And he sees me for not what I am or what I've done, but he sees the person he created me to become. And he gives me new clothes and a new name and a fresh start, and he says, you are no longer Darren Sloniger, the sinner. are now Dulcinea a name like that an angel whispers and you are beautiful to me I think when we get to heaven we're all going to be a little bit surprised we're all going to be a little bit surprised about who we see and who we don't And we're going to walk around and we'll go, isn't that? Or what are they doing here? How did he get in? But when you finally get the depth of your own sin, when you finally understand the depth of God's love for you, his forgiveness, and the unfair nature of God's grace where he swung the pendulum to the other side for you, it changes everything. And all of a sudden, nobody else's mistakes or sin, I don't matter to you anymore. Because you are way too busy saying thank you to God for his forgiveness and for his grace. That he has extended this love to you in spite of all the things you've done, in spite of all the mistakes you've made. If you knew you had only 30 days left, could you live with just a little more grace? 
Could you bring out a little piece of heaven down to this earth? Could you become the person who displays the unfair nature of God's grace to everybody else? People who are lost and hurting. People who need Jesus. Can you see past the junk and just look into their hearts and see the people God created them to be? If you only had 30 days left, could you live a life that's full of grace? Make no mistake about it. When we finally get there, the heaven I'm talking about, don't be surprised as you're walking down the streets of gold and you look around and you see the town harlot. You see a bunch of prostitutes. You see somebody that hurt you. Somebody that did you wrong. You may even see a few politicians. You look around and you see liars, addicts, cheaters, thieves. even see somebody like me. Somebody who found God's grace before it was too late. God's grace ain't fair. Not even a little bit. Thank God his grace ain't fair that I am no longer known as the person of my past and the things that I have done, but that I have a new name between me and God, a name like that, an angel whispered.